Well, in fact, the following story is yet another reminder that things aren't always as they appear at first glance. Perhaps you heard the story of the burglar who had broke into a house one night. As he was walking through the house, he shone his flashlight and he was looking around for the valuables that he wanted to take and he saw a TV set. He thought, well, that's too big, I'll get that last. So he went over and he saw a video recorder and he started to unplug that. And he heard this kind of strange disembodied voice coming and he wasn't sure and he stopped and he, heard, he thought he heard it say, Jesus is watching you. And he shut the flashlight out and he stopped and he didn't hear it again so he kept going on and he saw some jewelry that he wanted and he started throwing that in the sack and again he heard the same voice. Jesus is watching you. Shut the flashlight out again and thought, man, I've got to find a better way to make some, make some money. Turned it back on, started going through the house, again the same voice. And he started to track it, and he thought it was kind of a strange voice, so he started to track it, and he went into the back of a room, and he shone the flashlight around, and then in the back of the room, there was sitting on a perch, a parrot. And the parrot said, Jesus is watching you. And the guy kind of smiled, and he took a deep sigh of relief, and he went over to this parrot and said, Who are you? And the parrot said, My name's Moses. And the guy went, Moses? You know, what kind of stupid people would name a parrot Moses? And the parrot said, well, probably the same kind of stupid people that would name their Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> What's the point? Well, the point is that, you know what, oftentimes in life things aren't always as they appear. And I'll give you an example. How many of you watch those television shows? They call them courtroom dramas, for lack of a better term, I guess. You know, like Judge Judy. Anybody watch Judge Judy? Judge Judy, Judge uh, uh, Brown, Judge Mathis. There's uh, Judge Wapner. Then there's, uh, let's get it on, Judge Mills Lane, the little guy that does the, uh, the boxing refereeing. Uh, there's uh, all these different judges that are out there. Now, if you've ever watched one of those shows, there are times in the show where you've probably noticed that everyone but the defendant or the plaintiff has a real good idea of how this thing's going to turn out. People sitting there have an idea. They know what the verdict's going to be. The bailiff always smiles and laughs because he knows where it's going. Uh, you know, people on TV knows where it's, know where it's going as well. The only person that doesn't know is that one person who seems oblivious to the obvious. It's as if I had a southern friend that used to say when somebody wasn't quite that sharp, said that, you know, there are a few clowns short of a circus. And, uh, you know, it's just like you've got people that are just a few clowns short of a circus. You know, it's like you know what the verdict's going to be, but they don't. They're oblivious to the obvious. And the reason that I bring that up is because we've come to a section in our study in the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul is addressing a group of people at that particular time, those in Rome who are going to read the letter, at our particular time, it's us. He's going to address this inspired letter from God, is going to address a group of people, which includes all of us, who are oblivious to the obvious. And the reason that I say that is, is because many of us in life think that we're okay. We think, you know what, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot better than some people I know. I'm not as good as others that I know. But on the overall average, if God's grading on a curve, I'm all right. I have my good days, I have my bad days, but for the most part, most of my days are better than the worst days. So, you know what, I'm okay. And it's as if God wants us to recognize, in this particular passage, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. It's as if God wants us to recognize 
the obvious that many of us are oblivious to, just as if we're walking into God's courtroom. And God is the prosecutor and also the judge. And if you've noticed in the cases of these, you know, people court type things, there's no prosecutor, the judge just hears it all. And as we look at God in the position of a judge, it's as if God is trying to get a point across to us who are oblivious to the obvious. And that is that there's something wrong with each one of us. And he's like saying, hear ye, hear ye, God's courtroom is now in session. And in Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18, we pick up on this account and we'll look at it and we'll come back to what God wants us to learn from it. But it says this, in Romans 1:18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. It says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Says professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Says therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be abandoned among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice such things. As a reminder, the theme of the book of Romans is the righteousness of God. And we, and we talked in the first session that we had of how to be right with God, that uh, there's the righteousness of God. But in order to understand the righteousness of God and the holiness of God, we have to take a look at the unrighteousness of man so that we can better understand the righteousness of God. And so what God does is he lays this out. And if you remember from our last time together, look at verse 16 and 17. It said, for, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is telling them, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He goes on to say, and it's the, the just shall live by faith alone. The theme of our whole study in Romans is that one particular verse that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel or the good news is that there's bad news to have good news. 
And what he's saying is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Now, the question is, what does it mean? Because a lot of times we use terms like, you know, for those who are unsaved or those who are not saved, or sometimes we just call them unchurched people. I'd rather just use the term unsaved people, because that is clearly what God is trying to get across to us. Unsaved people. Now, some of us say, well, what, what does it mean to be saved? I'm not that bad. What's wrong with me? What do I need to be saved from? If God is saying I need to be saved, and Paul's saying that the good news is that God wants to save people, then the natural question's got to be, what am I being saved from? I don't know. Everything's going okay in my life. I talk to people all the time. Everything's going great. I don't see any need. What does it mean to be saved? Saved from what? Saved from what? When we need to recognize and understand that we need to understand what it means when God says that, you know what, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God to save people. But the question is, from what? And why? I'm not that bad. I'm not that good. I'm not perfect. I'm okay. I don't need to be saved. Everything's going okay in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any interest in discussing this with you. Now, see, the problem with that is that the gospel, if you'll recall, uh, by definition, is good news. Good news. Good news is simply because we have bad news that precedes it. There's no sense sharing good news with somebody if they don't know the bad news that goes before it. There's no sense telling people that God loves them, he sent Jesus Christ to die for them, if they don't understand the need for Jesus to die in their place. If they don't understand what they are going to experience, if it wasn't for the fact Jesus died for them, then there's no sense even explaining to them, gee, God, we hear people all say, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins. But the problem is, until I know that I'm guilty of something, I don't think that applies to me. You know what I'm saying? Great. Somebody paid the price for your crime, but I don't think I'm guilty of anything. That's the problem. The problem is, according to what we're going to see, and according to what God has to say, and according to Him as judge, all are guilty. Every one of us are guilty. Every one of us individually are guilty. Not just collectively as a people, but on an individual basis, God cares about people individually. Each person is significant in the sight of God. God does not grade people or judge people based on humanity as a whole. He judges us individually. We are significant as individual people before God. And each of us as individuals will be, will be judged by God. Now, the good news is, the bad news is this. We're guilty. According to God, we're guilty. Now, you say, well, who's God to call me guilty? Uh, he's God. It's like you go into one of those courtrooms and the judge says you're guilty and you could sit there all you want and say, well, you know what, Judge Judy, I don't have any respect for you and I don't care if you say I'm guilty or not. The problem, though, is whether you believe that or care anything otherwise, she's the judge She's an authority. If she declares you guilty, pay the man. That's the way it works. See, that's the way authority works. And we don't understand that in our culture today because we don't respect authority. But all it takes in a very simple illustration is wherever you work, whether you like your boss, dislike your boss, think they're bright, think they're a few clowns short of a circus, whatever it is you think about them, whatever they say goes. Why? It's authority issue. You may not like a teacher, you may not like a coach, you may not like your mom or your dad as parents and authority, but the bottom line is this. It's authority issue, 
that all, as all that matters. So carry that to its natural conclusion. If God is God and he is an authority and he says to you and he says to me, you are guilty that we got a problem. You are guilty and you will experience the wrath of God. See, we don't talk about guilt anymore. We hear things like people say, don't lay that guilt trip on me. And it's always, don't lay your guilt trip on me. Don't try to make me feel guilty about what I'm doing. We don't like to talk about guilt anymore. Well, you know what? Tough. Because God talks about it a lot. And he says that in order to understand the good news, you first must fully comprehend the bad news. There's no sense telling a person they need to be saved until they know they need to be saved. And then we've got an answer for them, but first we've got to help people to recognize and understand. You know, to the unbeliever who asks, why do I need salvation or why do I need to be saved? Paul says with great clarity, if you've got the, your, your Bible open, look at verse 18. With great clarity and finality, he says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Let me define two terms for you. Ungodliness is this, those who are against God, against his authority, against his standards, against his structure, against his plan, against his purpose. Ungodliness is those who are against God. Now, most people that are against God don't even know they're against God, and they wouldn't recognize or admit they were against God because they know if there is a God, they don't want to be messing with him, so they don't want to say that. But their lives and how they live indicate that what God says is true about their life. They're guilty and they are against God. Ungodliness are those who are against God. Unrighteousness are the way that we treat one another. Unrighteous are wrong way, not right way of living with one another. How we conduct ourselves and our relationships to one another. So he says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The first thing that he wants us to be aware of is that we're guilty. And he's going to go through great lengths for the next couple of chapters, through three, three and a half chapters, of explaining to people, you and I, why we're guilty before God. Then he will begin to talk about how Jesus Christ, and that term is substitute or substitutionary, or substituted himself on the cross in our place. So you and I are guilty. The, the bad's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus took our place on the cross and experienced the wrath of God upon himself in judgment for what we did. Bad news is what we did. Good news is what God did for us in Jesus Christ. Before we can get to that, we need to recognize and understand what it is that we need from God. Look at Romans 2, verse 5 and 6 for a second. We need salvation... We need to be saved, if you ask the question, saved from what? Saved from this. Saved from the wrath of God. The judgment of God. We need to recognize and understand that this world is condemned. And when we talk about the world, we're talking about individual people. The world is condemned. John 3.16, a, a, a verse that many of us know, and we see banners hanging in stadiums all the time, things like that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We usually stop there. But if you continue on in the passage, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to judge it or condemn it, for the world had already been condemned. The world is already judged. The world is already under the wrath and the judgment of God. It's a matter of the final sentence being executed. Give you an example in our legal system today. You can be declared guilty today, and you're guilty. 
Then downstream, some point in time, maybe a week later or, or a month later, depending how long the process takes, then you have a sentencing hearing. It has already been determined that you're guilty. It's just a matter of how you will serve and where you will serve your sentence and for how long. You're already guilty at that moment in time. The execution of the sentence will take place downstream, but you're already labeled, you're already guilty. What God is saying to each human being is this. God has already labeled us guilty. It's just a matter of the sentence being fully executed. When will that sentence be fully executed? The Bible says when Jesus Christ returns, he will judge every person that's ever walked the face of the earth. The Bible says in Romans uh, chapter 2, verse 5, that because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Notice what he says. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, who had risen from the dead three days afterwards, ascended into heaven 40 days later, and sits at the right-hand side of God, will one day return to judge all of humanity. Not only will he judge believers, but he will also judge unbelievers. And at that moment in time, the sentence will be executed and carried out for all of eternity. We are labeled guilty. We are all guilty. Every one of us are guilty. And God wants us to know that and understand that. And the problem with many of us is we don't know that, nor do we think that. We think we're okay. And the problem today in our culture is that we don't see the obvious. We're oblivious to the obvious. And that's what God's Word tries to help us comprehend. And that is what God says about us is true, whether we like it or not, whether we feel comfortable with it or not, whether it makes us feel creepy or not, whether it makes us want to get up and run away and not hear the rest of this, because we don't want to hear where this is going. But it's only God's word and his truth that sets people free. You've got to know you're guilty, and you've got to know you're under the wrath of God and the judgment of God, and you've got to know that you're on your way to an eternal damnation, you're on your way to hell to spend eternity separated from God unless something major and drastic changes in your life. And what God wants us to do is to read carefully His Word and to listen carefully and see what He has to say because He's going to give us three reasons why you and I as individuals are condemned before God. Why uh, Three reasons why we are guilty before God. And it's important that we recognize this and understand it because this is the order of events that has to take place in the life of every person before they can get right with God. They have to recognize they're wrong with God. How many of you in your own relationships, in your own households, with your spouses or your children, you can't get right with one another until you recognize there's some wrong that's been done? You can't ask for forgiveness if you don't think you're guilty. Don't lay that guilt trip on me. I haven't done anything wrong. How many of you have gone through that in your own relationships with one another? Oblivious to the obvious. Everybody in your life but you recognizes how guilty you are. And you can't ask for forgiveness, and you can't confess you're wrong, and you can't make something right unless you understand that you're wrong. You can't ask for help until you know you need help. How many times do you hear people say that? You hear it all the time. You hear it in AA meetings. You hear it in uh, you know, uh, uh, Al-Anon meetings. You hear it in all types of meetings. You know, until you recognize you need help, we can't help you. And it's no different with God. He's saying, Chuck, until you recognize you need my help, there's nothing that I can do for you. But once you recognize and you cry out to me, ah, there's good news, and we'll talk about that a little later. But for now, we're just going to concentrate on this. Number one, why are every one of us you and me included, 
and every person you'll ever meet and every person you'll ever talk to, why are we guilty before God? Number one, for suppressing God's truth. That's what he says. Verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Why? Because man has suppressed the truth of God. The picture that's painted in this passage is an ugly one. It's not a pretty one at all. And many of us have gone through those things in our own life where we've had to deal with things that are ugly about our own character and about our own behavior and about how we've treated other people. And we've had to face some really ugly things at times in our life, haven't we? You don't want to do it, but you have to do it. And when you do that, that truth can set you free if you go in the right direction. And what God is saying, this is an ugly picture of mankind. It's not politically correct chapter, I'll guarantee you that, but it doesn't really matter because what's politically correct and biblically correct are often two different things. And so when we look at what God has to say, we're going to take counsel on the fact and we're going to take, uh, uh, take this passage as it is. And he says, first of all, people are guilty because they have suppressed God's truth. You know, we live in a world today that teaches evolution. Teaches evolution. Teaches that man started out low and somehow has risen higher and higher. You know what the Bible teaches? Devolution or devolution. It teaches that mankind started out as high as God created them and has become lower than even the animals today. Why did that happen? Why has devolution or devolution taken place? Why has digression taken place? Because mankind had been revealed by God, the truth of God, and man has suppressed the truth. You know what the word suppress means? It means to hold it down not to let it, let it have the effect that God wants it to have in our life. When you and I come, and don't forget what Jesus said. He said, God, he said, the Father, thy word, the word of God is God's truth. Now think about it in your own life and in my life. There are times where God reveals his truth to me. I know what he's saying is true. And I have a choice at that point of whether I will allow God's truth to work in my life to bring about the changes that God wants to make, or what can I do? I can suppress the truth. I can hold it down. I can step on it and hold it down and not let it do what God wants to do in my life. God is saying this to man. You are guilty before me because I have given you the truth and you have not accepted it as truth, but you have suppressed the truth because you don't want it to do what I've wanted it to do in your life. What I have given it to you to do is to free you up, but you have suppressed it. God's word is truth, but we suppress the truth. Now the question is this. How do we know that God has revealed his truth to us and how does man suppress his truth? Notice verse 19. It says, because that which is known about God is evident within them. Let's make this very personal. What God is saying is this. That which is evident about God, Chuck, that which is evident about me is known within your very heart. That which is evident about me is known within your very heart but you have fought it and you have suppressed it. What God calls it is, is conscience. In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, notice what he says. It says, The word of God or the law of God was given, and that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. You notice what he says? That God has given every person a conscience to make them, you and me, aware that God exists. Now some of you are still sitting there saying, you know what though, but I'm not that bad. 
God, God, here's what God's saying. Here's what he says to me as I was reading this and going through it. When I say, God, I'm not that bad, God goes, Chuck, look at you. Just look at you. You know what other people don't know about you. I know everything about you. And there's nothing hidden in my sight. The Bible says that, you know, that we're going to give an account to a God who knows everything about our life. There is nothing bare or hidden in his sight, speaking of Jesus, to whom we have to give an account, speaking of Judgment Day. So he's saying, Chuck, how can you, in good, clear conscience, ever say to me that you have lived up and have lived according to the light that I have given you within your own conscience? Look at you. Can you really, before God sitting here today, say to God one day, God, I'm okay. When you know in your heart and you know in your conscience the things that you are doing that you know, even if you have never read the Bible and even if you've never been to church, you know in your heart there's something wrong about what you're doing. God's saying, come on. Can any man ever stand before God and say they're completely guiltless before God? Think about it. He says to each one of us, as unbelievers, think about it, before you ever came to a church, before you ever read a Bible, before you ever met one of those Christian people, before you ever met a born-againer, before whatever it was that you know God used to invade your life, before you did any of those things, did you not have a sense in your own heart of what was right and what was wrong? There are things in life that are just plain wrong. Universally. And you can ask yourself whatever questions you want from a cultural standpoint. I'll guarantee you this. We've had an opportunity to travel a lot of places. There are many places in the world that we have traveled that are different culturally than here in the United States or here in Southern California. But I'll challenge you to consider this. Have you ever been to any place in the world where if you walked up to somebody and just went over and assaulted them, that that wasn't wrong in that culture? You just can't walk up to somebody and say, smack them. You just look stupid today. I think I'll just smack you. There's something about assault that just doesn't go over. It doesn't matter what culture that is. Have you ever been anywhere where you walked up to someone and said, that's a nice watch. Give me it. And that's combined assault with stealing it. We can just mix and match all we want. Have you ever been anywhere where someone say, oh, that's okay to do that? Have you ever been anywhere in the world where it's okay to lie or cheat or steal or rape or murder or assault somebody? Why is that? Because there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. They're called moral absolutes. They were given to us by God who created us in His image and in His likeness. Unrighteousness is doing those things that God said we shouldn't be doing against one another. Ungodliness is doing that against God that God says we shouldn't be doing against them. And He says because ungodliness is revealed and unrighteousness is revealed, God's wrath is upon us. He will judge us. Every one of us have a conscience. Every one of us know because God has given that to every human being to know the difference between right or wrong. Now the question is this. Can you honestly, before God, say to God one day, the conscience that you've given me, everything that you have made me aware of, I have honestly done before you. I have never done anything different than what my conscience was saying I should do. And if you say yes, you're a liar. And your conscience is telling you that even as you're trying to convince God that, you know what, no, I've always done exactly as you told me to do. And you know what, and your conscience is saying, you're lying! You're lying! So you're guilty, you're busted, you're done. 
See, it's as if God is saying, look, Chuck, you have suppressed the truth, and because of that, you are guilty. See, I don't know about you, but that's not hard for me to understand. I know what my life is like. I know what my life was like. And I know what God is saying is true, that I was guilty before God. Look at the second reason that God condemns man. For ignoring his revelation. A second reason is for ignoring his revelation. And I want you to notice this. It's kind of interesting. It's just a prosecutor is building this case against an accused person. It starts out, for the wrath of God is revealed because we violate the conscience that God's given us. We're guilty. Then he goes on and says, oh, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For the person that says, I don't believe that God exists. Prove it to me. God's answer is, hey, I reveal it to you every day. I clearly reveal it to you in, the, in my creation every day that I am creator and that I am in control, I am in charge, I am God. I am in authority. He's saying that man is guilty because he ignores the revelation of God. Turn back to the book of Psalms, chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. We read these words. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who has displayed your splendor above the heavens. Splendor is another word for glory. The glory of God is displayed in the universe. It says, From the mouth of infants and nursing babes thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider... The word consider is to take into careful consideration. It has to do with looking at it for the purpose of coming to a conclusion. The book of Hebrews says that we are to consider Jesus, to take a real good hard look at who Jesus claims to be, who the Bible says that he is, what he has done uh, you know, through his death, through his resurrection, uh, through all that we learn about Jesus. The Bible says we are to consider him carefully for what? Just not to have more knowledge of something. We are to consider him carefully for the purpose of coming to a conclusion about him. Remember when Jesus was on this earth, he walked with his disciples and he asked them oftentimes, he said, who do people say that I am? And they would say, that, oh, you're a prophet, you're a great teacher, you're another religious leader, you're this, you're that, or the other thing. We hear people say that all the time about him today. But he looked at Peter and said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, carefully considering what he had seen Jesus do, what he had seen Jesus say, what he had heard him say, all the miracles and signs and wonders that he had seen performed before his very eyes, the, the blind could see, the lame were raised, the deaf could hear, the, the, the dead were raised from the dead. I mean, multitudes were fed. He considered all the evidence, and his conclusion was, based on what God had promised, that this was what the Messiah or Savior would do. He said that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. You are God in human flesh, just as the Bible said that God would send, you have come, that's who you are. And Jesus didn't say, no, I'm not. Say, no, I'm just a religious leader. I'm just a prophet. Don't worship me. Worship God. He was worshipped as God because he is God in very human flesh. And that's what the Bible teaches. And so what we look at this and understand, he considered carefully for the purpose of coming to a conclusion. His conclusion was, you are the Christ, Jesus Christ, Messiah, Savior of the world. That was his conclusion. And Jesus said, blessed are you. You've come to a wise conclusion. But it wasn't because man revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed that truth to you. 
for the purpose of considering for a conclusion. Now he says this, when I consider, now understand, when I consider, what? Thy heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, when I consider all of this, it blows me away that you would even care about me. What is man in light of everything else that you've done? Isn't that interesting? Don't you ever feel that way? Don't you ever feel so insignificant in this creation of God's that, you know, you ever get an airplane and look down and, and, and as, you, as the, the higher that you get, the, the less and less things become uh, visible. And not only do they become less and less visible, but they seemingly become less and less significant. The, the largest buildings in the world, the greatest people on earth, as you get up above them and you look down, they're mere specks and then they disappear altogether. And there's, there seems to be some insignificance that goes with that. You think you're so this and that, but you know what? You're not. You seem to be so significant, but in the big picture, you're just not. And what the psalmist is writing is saying, God, as I consider everything you made, who is man that you would consider me the son of man, that thou, thou would care for him? Yet, thou hast made him a little lower than God and dost crown him with glory and majesty and make him to rule over the works of your hands and you have put all things under, under his feet in submission. All sheep and oxen and beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. You notice that he says, who are we? We seem so significant, yet God has created human beings with significance, great significance. He has created us in his image and his likeness. And the Bible says that he created man above all the rest of his creation, that he put everything else in subjection or submission to man. When he created Adam and Eve, he had created Adam and he told him to name all the animals to teach them that he was in a position of authority and all the rest of creation was to be submissive in subjection to man. God created man with great significance. And yet we have sunk even lower than the very animals that we were supposed to rule over. We're beneath the beasts. The digression that has occurred from being here to here is a plummet and it's, and it's, a, and it, and it's an indictment that every one of us are guilty before God. As we look at this and consider Psalm 19, look ahead. Psalm 19, the Bible says in verse 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. You notice that? God's creation reveals there's knowledge behind it. There's somebody who knew something in order to do that which He did. It says, day and night pours forth speech. And there isn't any speech that isn't heard by human beings. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, whether you're in the Antarctica, whether you're in the North Pole, whether you're in Africa or Asia or America, or North America, South America. It doesn't make any difference where you are. God's knowledge is revealing His existence. And it's shouting to all of mankind, God exists. Therefore, seek Him out and search Him with your heart. Come to know Him and live up to the light that He has given you in your own conscience. But what the Bible says is even though man has revealed himself, God has revealed Himself in creation, man has said, I don't care. I'm not going to seek out God. I'm not going to search Him out. I'm not going to be submissive to Him. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Every day, God's speech shouts forth and His knowledge is there to be grasped for those who are looking for Him. But we have digressed even lower than the animals. Think about it and ask yourself the question. We have scientists who send... We send man to the moon 
We send satellites into orbit. We send little miniature robots to Mars to have it fall over maybe in a crevice and disappear and we don't know where it is. We do all these things. And, and you know what? And, and every time I hear it justified, I always hear this, that, that man is looking for what? The answer to the origin of the universe. Man is searching for other life forms. Man is trying to figure out where we began and what we're all about and what this is all about and what the big picture is. We're trying to figure it all out. And God says, I'm shouting to you every day. Can you just take a good look around you? The evidence is overwhelming. Can you just stop for a minute and consider this, oh brilliant minds, professing to become wise, the Bible says, we've become foolish. Can you just consider this for a second? Regardless of what else you find out there, there isn't any scientist that in good conscience cannot admit that the earth has been uniquely prepared for human beings. I don't care who you are or what you believe. You've got to at least, if you're going to be honest, come to that conclusion. There is something different about the earth than anything and everything else that we have seen to date. Right? What is the difference? The difference is God has prepared this planet for us. And every day he shouts forth his speech and his knowledge is revealed that God does exist. And he wants man to seek him and search him out. You know, it's fascinating to me is when you look at all the arguments for the existence of God, I just want to share a few with you because these, these are things that every day the evidence is there for God's existence. <clears throat> Cosmological argument. It comes from the term cosmos, which means the universe has form and order. We get our word cosmetics, which means ordered and beautiful, put everything in, in alignment. The universe is much, there's evidence of order that it's impossible to list all the order that's there. Quantum physics demonstrated that the level of subatomic particles, there's an irresistible urge of electrons towards symmetry, and there's an amazing cosmetic aspect to the universe. One author has said that nature is a great architect, meaning that nature is God. <clears throat> it is also a great astronomer, a great chemist, great physiologist and psychologist and mathematician, demonstrating an incredible knowledge of the facts of the various sciences. Teleological argument, telos, which means the end. Teleology is the philosophy which sees in the universe that there is designed for an end or a purpose. There is a purpose, there is order, there is, there is reason behind it. And anyone who looks at that, looks at it and says, you know what, this isn't a giant accident. Consider these truths. Mass and size of the planet. If it was 10% larger or 10% smaller, it'd be impossible to have life on this planet. It's just the right distance from the sun. If we're any further away, it would be too cold. If we're any too closer, it'd be too hot. If we're the same distance as Mercury or Venus, we couldn't survive on this planet. The tilt of the axis of the Earth is 23 degrees. The angle provides that the Earth is slowly turned in all parts of its surface before the rays of the sun, just as a chicken would be turned upon a spit on a barbecue so that it would not burn or be destroyed. If there were no tilt to the axis, the poles would accumulate enormous masses of ice, and the ice in the center part of the Earth would become intensely hot to where there could be no life forms available or to be able to survive on this planet. Then there's the moon. Why do you think we have a moon? It cleans up all the mess of, the, of this particular planet. If we didn't have a moon, we wouldn't have tides. If we didn't have tides, we wouldn't be able to clean up the shorelines and the oceans and, and, and all the life form that it sustains. 
If you didn't have, if you didn't have a, a moon, we wouldn't have tides at all. And if we didn't have tides and we didn't have the cleanliness that takes place and the washing effect that takes place as the waves, we sit and we watch the waves and go, oh, look at the waves. And if you're a surfer, you go, hey, what's the surf today? And we look at all these things with every other reason except for to realize that God is shouting to us through those waves. And it's not, surf's up. It's like, look what I'm doing for you people. Look how much food comes from the oceans to sustain human beings. Think about it. If there was no plankton, the basic, uh, the fundamental on the food chain, there would, no be, there would not be life. Our atmosphere. You know, if you ever watch one of these millionaire questions, this will be a good one for you to kind of take note of. Our atmosphere, 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and 1% is made up of a dozen different trace elements. It is the only planet in the universe that has that combination of elements, which obviously is really beneficial to all of us. Nitrogen cycle, the ozone that keeps us from being fried, molten lava at the core of the center of the earth. You know, we, we, we live on a, on, a, on a ball that's heated from the very center, and we're protected by clouds above us, and every day on the planet that there's cloud cover to keep us from getting fried. Even, you know, what's amazing is water. Every time you hear a scientist say, we think we found ice. And if we found ice, guess what we found? We found water. And if we found water, guess what? Maybe life can survive. Two-thirds of our planet is covered by water. And we're looking for ice particles 20 billion miles away to try to figure out where we all came from and why we're here. Are we oblivious to the obvious? And then we say we're not guilty before God? When was the last time mankind went out and said, you know what, it looks pretty obvious to me that this planet has been specially prepared for us and there must be a creator because there's design and order and purpose. But you know what, professing to be wise, we've become idiots. And God says, you know what, you are guilty before me. You know why you're guilty? Because I've revealed to you that I exist. And rather than turn to me and submit to me, you would rather go your own direction. You would rather follow some scientist, some multiple PhD person. You would rather put your faith and trust in that person's limited knowledge than in God because you don't want to be accountable to me. You don't want to answer to me. You don't want to know what I want to share with you and tell you because you want to be your own God. You don't want to submit to God and therefore you're guilty because I have revealed to you in so many ways that I exist and yet you've turned your back from me. And you think you're not guilty and I think I'm not guilty? Every day, God provides for our basic needs. Think about it. Where does all the food come from? The water, the oxygen that we breathe, the access of the earth, the sun that we have, the, the clouds that we have, the rain that we have. Who provides all of that? God. Every day, He's trying to shout to mankind, guess what? I'm here. I exist. And I want you to seek me with all of your heart. I want you to look for me. See, Paul clearly states that even though mankind has fallen, he's still a moral and rational human being. He's not dehumanized. We still have a conscience before God that we can either accept or reject. We have creation that reveals the existence of God, and we either can be drawn to Him or run away from Him. See, God speaks to us, and we need to recognize that, and He does it in so many different ways. You know, we marvel at the wonderful things that even fallen human creatures can do. 
You know, we look at creativity and technology. And we can do all these things even while we're rebelling against God. Even in our rebellion, we can do all that. But we need to recognize and understand that what we need to share with people first and foremost is this, that we are guilty before God. That we are guilty before God, we are judged by God, and the execution of that judgment will take place one day in the future, but we have already been condemned. Because man started here, and now has ended up here. And God says, because of that, you and me are guilty before God. And we will experience the wrath of God and the judgment of God in our life. And you know, if you're sitting in a courtroom and you know that you're guilty, I don't know about you, but I see it all the time, and I I am intensely aware of this, and that is this. When you and I have been declared guilty, we either have a choice, and you see it. And I saw it in a a courtroom hearing not too long ago about the... um, the, 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 um, Two or three, I don't know if there's two or three people who had taken a kid from Brea who was working as a police informant for a drug deal. And they had taken him and they had found out about it and they had killed him. And as they sat listening to the judge sentence them, the hardness and the coldness and the rebelliousness of their heart was demonstrated when they sat smirking at the judge who had just sentenced them to death. And they laughed in the judge's face. And as if, if that wasn't insulting enough for everyone who was there, family members and friends, they then turned to the mother and said, you're the one that signed the paper for him to be an informant, and you are just as guilty as we are. And left her with that burden. And I thought, wow, talk about callousness and rebelliousness and hardness of heart and insensitivity. And God says, Chuck, you are just as guilty you fold your arms and you look around and you try to figure out the origin of the universe. I've given you a conscience that tells you the difference between right or wrong and you suppress the truth and you continue to do what you want to do. You're looking for other answers because you know the answer that's there. You don't want to submit to me. You don't want to, you don't want to seek after me. You don't want to hear what my plan is. You don't want to hear what I'm all about. You would rather listen to human beings because then you can keep doing what you want to do. And you know what you want to do in your heart? You want to rebel against me. You want to rebel and you want to go your own way. And all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each one of us has gone our own way and looked for our own way of living. And God says because of that, you are guilty and you're so oblivious to the obvious that it takes the Word of God to penetrate our hard hearts. He says not only that, but we're guilty for perverting God's glory. Guilty for perverting God's glory. I mean, go back to Romans and look at this, the, the disintegration that has taken place in the relationship with man and God. Notice what he says in verse 21. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their foolish speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Even though they knew God. I want you to understand something that many of us don't, and we always ask questions like this. Well, what about the person that's never heard of Jesus? Or what about the person that's never really understood the God of the Bible? Or what about the person that's never really understood, you know, Judeo-Christian faith or, or any of that? What about that person? Are you going to tell me that God judges them? Yes. And He judges them the same way He judges us. He gives them a conscience, they don't live up to it. He gives them creation, they don't seek after Him. They've turned from Him. So they're still guilty, even if they never hear of Jesus, even if they never hear of the God of the Bible, even if they've never seen a Bible, they're still guilty before God. And some of us go, well, that's not fair. I mean, that's the way God made us. And God says, it's not the way I made you. It's what you have chosen to become. 
It would be unfair if God said, I'm going to judge everybody and you have to be six feet tall and he made you four feet tall. And you go to God, that's not fair, you're unjust. You made me this way, you made me four feet tall, how can you hold me to be six feet tall? It's all your fault. God says, it's not my fault. I created you in my image, and I created you in my likeness, and I created you to have subjection over the whole earth, and I created you on a high plane with great human significance, and to have fellowship with me, and to walk with me, and even though they knew God. You go, well, when did man know God? Hey, let me tell you something. From the very beginning, man knew God. Adam and Eve walked with God. They spent time with God. They saw God. They talked to God. I saw something on the news last night. I fell asleep. I wish I would have seen the rest of it. But the intro on the news was they're going to interview a guy who talks to God. Now, I don't know where that went or what it's all about, but I can't even imagine what that was like. But just think about it. Adam and Eve knew God. They walked with God. They talked with Him. They spoke with Him. They spent time with Him. They had fellowship with Him. Even though man knew God... What does the Bible say? They didn't honor him as God. What did they do? They turned and they rejected his authority in their life. God said, this is the way it's going to be. You can enjoy everything I've created except this one thing, this one tree. You can't eat from its fruit. And even though they knew God, what did they do? They rejected him as God. They didn't honor him as God. They did what they wanted to do and they've turned and they've rebelled against God. Mankind was created with a knowledge of God. We knew God, and yet we turned and we walked from Him. Now you sit there and go, but nobody in my family ever knew God. You know what? You don't even know that. You think about the fall of man as an act that took place with Adam and Eve, which it was, and we'll talk about it at great lengths in chapter 5. But you know what? There's many ways that human beings have fallen from a knowledge of God. You may be here today, and you may be hearing this truth, And you have an opportunity either to accept it, embrace it, to consider it more carefully, or you can turn and walk from it. But it's not God's fault because he was trying to get a hold of you, and you have an opportunity either to listen to what he says or to say, you know what, that's garbage and I don't want nothing to do with it. What makes you any different from what they did? It's just evidence of rebellion in our heart, isn't it? See, they knew God and they turned from him. You know what, think about the fall in different ways. Think about it this way. There may be people in your own families who heard the gospel preached, who heard that they were guilty before God, who heard that God sent Jesus Christ as a substitute for the judgment that would come upon them if they didn't believe it. They were guilty before God. And you know what? And they may have turned, and they may have walked away from it and said, I'm not interested in it, I don't want to hear it. But it's not because God didn't try to get the message to them. You and I both know, all know, people who have come to churches and listened to the messages that were preached and heard the word of God and turned and walked from that truth. They've suppressed the truth. They've fallen away from the truth. They don't want to deal with the truth because God intercepts our life and then we become a person that is submissive to Him and His plans for our life and man doesn't want to do that. Nations fall from the truth. This nation is falling from the truth. There are those of you who have lived long enough to have seen the digression or the devolution or the devolution or whatever you want to call it that has taken place in this country. A country that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. A country that was founded on the freedom to worship and serve God and to believe the Bible and to live accordingly to the truths that were in it. And we have seen the digression that has taken place in this last century from knowing the truth to turning our back from it. You can go around the world. Go to London today, a godly nation 200 years ago or so, 300, 400 years ago. People knew the gospel. You go there today and ask, what is the gospel? You ask a thousand people, you'll be lucky if two people have ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the way that we're going in this country, it's going to be the same way. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, don't tell me that we're evolving into something better. We are digressing into something even worse than the animals, God says. There are many ways to suppress the truth. There are many ways to fall away from our knowledge of God. You and I are sitting here today listening to the word of God, and you have a choice to suppress that truth or to allow God to change your heart and live accordingly. And you know what? And whatever you choose to do is either going to be another indictment against your guilt or it's going to be a substitution for the fact that you were guilty before God, but God intercepted you and he did something wonderful for you. That's the good news. The bad news is that, man, we're, we're, we're dust. We're done. We're in trouble. We're all in big trouble. We're all on the way to hell. We're all condemned before God. We're all guilty before God. We've perverted the truth of God. Look what it says. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. They didn't give him thanks, but they became futile and their foolish speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. It says, professing to be wise, they became fools. I want you to notice something. Man was wise at one point. We became fools. Man knew God. We became futile. We became. We're responsible. We're accountable. God's, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. We turned from him. And even today, we continue to turn and we go our own way. God says you're guilty. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Isn't that amazing? They knew God. We know God, and yet we turn and walk away from Him and we create our own gods. Now, Paul's culture was a lot easier to see than it is today. Because they actually made things, stuff, that they would sit on an altar in their house or they would go to in a temple and they were made of the images and likeness of men and of beasts and they would bow down and worship these things that man has made. They could have worshipped the Creator Himself, but they choose to worship their own creations because our creations don't interfere with our plans. You ever notice that? Our creations won't interfere with our plans. Why? Because we've created them and we can find them into whatever area that we feel comfortable leaving them in. But worshiping God interferes with the plans of man who want to do that which is in rebellion against God. Can you imagine how, 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 how foolish we've become? How silly that it is in cultures where they worship the creation instead of the creator? How silly it is in cultures where they worship cows, for example, over feeding human beings that God created in the image of God. And we look at them and we laugh and we say, how silly that is, but you know what? The indictment is no different in our own culture and in our own hearts. We just worship different things. We worship ourselves. We worship entertainment. We worship celebrities. We worship anything and everything other than God himself. And we know that because they're a priority in our life. Our hobbies become our gods. Our businesses become our gods. Our money becomes our gods. Our, our habits become our gods. Our behavior that's, in a, a, that's objectionable become, to, to God become our gods. And I know, standing here saying this, that none of us like to hear what I'm saying and we're uncomfortable and we can't wait to get out of here and we're looking at our watches saying, wow, when can we get out of here? Nobody likes to hear that they're guilty. But until you know you're guilty, there is no need for a Savior. And look at God has done 
verses 24 through 32 for next week. Look what God has done because we've rebelled against Him. It says, Therefore, because we have suppressed God's truth, we have ignored His revelation, we have perverted His glory, therefore, there will never be a more appropriate message than the one next week that tells us why our culture is where it is today and what has happened than reading verses 24 through 32. God's truth is eternal, it's timeless, it's relevant for our culture. It's no different in Paul's days than it was in our days. There is a relevancy here that is something that we need to turn to quickly before we digress to the point where God just totally wipes his hands or washes his hands of us and allows us to continue to go the direction that's against him. We need to recognize the truth of the word of God because it's only God's word that can set us free. Father, we just thank you for this message. None of us feel comfortable with it. But for those who are here who are self-righteous in some way, shape, or form and think they're not guilty before God, they have not listened to what you said to them. Even in their own conscience, they know the things that they do in the secrecy or the privacy of their homes, whether it's in the, on, on, a, on the, uh, the movies they watch or the internet things that they're involved in or the relationships illicitly that they have with other people, maybe other than their spouse or even outside of their marriage. They know that the lying and the cheating and the stealing that they're doing, they rationalize it and justify it in every other way, somehow or another trying to appease what they want to do in rebellion against what you, you and our very consciences tell us are right or wrong. God, we suppress the truth, and it's only the truth that says free. Father, we realize as we've turned and we've walked from you, we've perverted your glory and we worship ourselves and we worship others rather than worship you. We decline to even look at the revelation of your glory that's displayed every day. Your, your creation shouts forth knowledge. And yet we seek it out and we search it out in, in various means and methods. And we spend millions and billions of dollars trying to figure out the origin of man and the origin of the universe. And your word clearly tells us, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth were formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hoovering over the surface of the deep. And then God said, and the universe came into existence as we see it today. And your word tells us you created man in his image, in your image and likeness. That man is created to have fellowship with you, to worship you, to enjoy you, and to bring you glory forever. And yet we've turned and we've walked from you. We're in rebellion against you, and because of that, we've fallen even lower than the animals that you created for our benefit and for us to be, for them to be in subjection to us. God, this is bad news, but thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who as we recognize that we're guilty, we shout out, God, what must we do to be saved from your judgment? And your word tells us that we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we shall be saved. God, we just praise you and we thank you that it's not based on our performance or works or anything of the sort, but it's believing you and your word, believing what you tell us about Jesus Christ. And we look forward in this study to seeing more about what you tell us of who he is and what he came to do. But for now, we just praise you and we thank you that as we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.